You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Melvin, it is so great to have you on Real Faith Stories. Welcome. Thank you, Brian. Absolute pleasure being here. We were introduced by a dear mutual friend, Perry Marshall, years ago. Your story, when I heard it, it blew me away, what God has done in your life. Would love to have you share that, please. And then we'll dig into the particular anointing and gifting you have in the prophetic. So please, go ahead, Melvin. Wonderful. Thank you, Brian. I often warn people, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle than to ask a Ziegler speaker to share a short story. (laughs) (laughs) I was praying for a miracle. Here we go. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Thank you to your listeners. Yes. Well, my journey actually starts from around the 1420s, 1430s. My ancestors were taken from South, some India, South India, by the Dutch and brought to South Africa. So between 1430s to with the Dutch, by the Dutch, or later on around the 18th century by the British. We don't know who brought us over, but that's where it started. So I grew up in rural South Africa and I was born into a Hindu family. And so we were born under the apartheid regime in South Africa, and we were very poor. We lived in a tin shop, nailed together, by sheet metals, two beds, mom and dad slept in one bed, six children on the other. Oh, wow. I joke with people. We had running water. We had to run out in the park and get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I say to them, we were so poor growing up, we'd go to KFC and lick other people's fingers. <laughs> <laughs> But life was very tough, Brian, and so I often encourage people, anyone can start with nothing. Mm. So we had nothing. And somebody asked me, so Melvin, what's the difference between living in poverty and abject poverty? I said to them, well, that's easy. Kids like us who grew up in abject poverty had our hand-me-down clothes come to us from the poor kids. (laughs) Serious poverty. So it was really bad. Absolutely. So it was bad. But thank God, in his mercy, even though we were a Hindu family, we had a secret weapon. And our secret weapon was a mother that believed in the power of prayer. So my mom, when she was in school as a little girl, there were some missionaries that came over from America, spoke to her about Jesus. She fell in love with Jesus, loved him in her heart, but obviously couldn't tell her Hindu parents, Mm -hmm. obvious reasons. So when we were born as little kids, she'll tell us the story of this man named Jesus. And she said to us, whatever you want, ask Jesus in prayer. He is the biggest God. Wow. And so that was my initial introduction into Christianity, that there was a God up there, His name was Jesus, and he was bigger than all our gods. And so my mom would pray at night. She'll say, Lord Jesus, we've got no food for my children, but they told me if I pray to you, you will give us food. So I'll hear my mom pray, sometimes cry at night Mm. for food. Next morning, she'd get up, light a fire outside, put a pot of water on the outside fire, go for a walk, 
An hour or two later, she'd return with a chicken in one hand, vegetables in the other. And I said, Mom, where do you get the food? Where do you get the food from? She said, my son, the Lord provides. She would literally pray for food Correct. every morning and God would provide. Every night and every morning, she'd go out to get us food. So the first layer of my life, Brian, is everything by prayer and mm. prayer alone. So that's how this little Hindu boy started his life. At age seven is where my life turned around dramatically. Around that time, my dad and I, we went to the store to buy some food. And so dad bought some little beans, a little bit of rice, and we were coming back home. And my life was shattered and then all in a few days. So as we entered the little street that we lived in, just before we got into our house, there was a group of boys and men on the roadside. They saw my dad coming up. We were so poor. I had ripped clothes, mud on my feet, no shoes, huge hole in the back of my pants. And these boys started to laugh at me. These men started to laugh and make fun, point fingers and spit at me. And my dad saw that. And my dad got very upset, tried to go and defend me and fight with these men to stand up for his little boy. And of course, there was a group of men. We didn't go too far. And as I turned and walked with my dad after that, I saw my dad's face, the shame, the disgust, the feeling of failure. And I saw that picture, Brian, and I said to myself, I will never live a life of poverty. You made a vow. I made a vow. A day or two later, I remember an airplane flying overhead. I saw that plane and started to chase after that plane. As the plane drifted into the heavens, I said to that airplane, one day I'm going to fly in you and never stop. And today, decades later, that is my reality. Amazing. What happened after you turned seven and you made this vow? What happened in the ensuing years for you? Those years were the most formative years in my sales and business life. At age nine, I started to support, to help support my parents and my siblings. Mm -hmm. And then on the weekends, I'd go buy little things from the hardware store, take it around the communities and put a markup on it and sell it. So I learned sales <laughs> from a very young age. Definitely. And became very successful. I understood as a little boy, I understood something of human behavior and what made people buy, what made them not buy. So I used that very effectively. So by the time I reached age 16, Brian, I was working full time and supporting my mom and dad and siblings. So we all worked together and we helped our eldest brother go to law school, studied law. He was a Christian. He was the only Christian in our family, an evangelist, a preacher, and a guitarist, a musician. He goes to law school, graduates, get married, and got married, had a six-month-old baby, and then tragically, my sister-in-law called to say that my brother had drowned. Oh, my goodness, Melvin. My mom and dad were so strong. They were the strongest people I had ever known in my life. But that broke them. Mm -hmm. My mom died a couple of years later. And a few years after that, my dad passed off a broken heart. They never fully recovered from the pain of losing my eldest brother. Thank God, though, they both gave their hearts to the Lord. And we know where they are right now. Just before they passed and when my brother died, I packed two suitcases 
and went to Auckland, New Zealand. At that time, I didn't know that the Lord was actually leading me. I thought I was just going to go, just find something to do so I could support my family. Why New Zealand, Melvin? Auckland, New Zealand at that time, being a Commonwealth nation, it was one of those nations that gave us a three-month visitor visa. So I saw that as an opportunity. I didn't have a clue of what was needed and required. I thought you just pack two suitcases, end up in a country, find a job and work. Didn't know all the immigration processes and hurdles. Anyways, as always, the footsteps of a righteous person are ordered by the Lord. I'm in Auckland, New Zealand. I'm literally walking to a store saying to myself, I am going to get a job today. I walk to the store. I meet a man. He gives me a job going door to door selling burglar alarms. Wow. So I get the job and it was in sales. So, and I loved sales. Problem was people loved me, but they didn't love me that much to give me the money. So I struggled. (laughs) (laughs) You had a lot of great presentations, right? (laughs) Correct. And so eventually I got kicked out of the boarding house because I couldn't pay my rent. Thank God, the owner of the alum company said to me, if you can sleep in the boardroom, Go ahead and take that. You can just sleep for free. So I literally slipped under the boardroom table. No way. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but one condition, he said, at seven in the morning, get up, roll, take your pillow or whatever, and hide it all away. I don't want people to know that you're sleeping <laughs> in the office. So I did that. And I'd get up in the morning and have a glass of water, dried bread. That would be my breakfast. That would be my lunch. And Brian, I struggled. It was the darkest, probably the darkest moments in my life. Because all I ever wanted to do was do good and help my parents. That's all I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. But now how Mike Tyson says, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. And so I got punched and punched and punched every single day. I got beaten down and beaten down and beaten down. But I still got up and I went out every single day trying to make a sale. But then one day, a miracle happened that changed the trajectory of my life and has brought me to where I am today. I had the sense in my heart to go out door knocking. And at this moment in my life, I was not a Christian. I was still a Hindu boy. I went out door knocking. And at that time, I did not know the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit told me, spoke to my heart, go into this public library. So I entered the public library. And the Holy Spirit is prompting my heart, look at the audio cassette tapes. I do so, and there was a cassette tape, and there was an interesting name, Zig Ziglar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and his voice is prompting my heart, rent that tape. Now, the tape costs $2. Now, as many people would know, $2 is a lot of money when you don't have one. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God I had $2. I rented the tape. That was going to be lunch or a cassette tape. I chose the cassette tape. Brian, I put that tape into the recording recorder. From the time Zig Ziglar opened his mouth to his last words, I wept like a little baby. I cried. I never heard a man speak like that. He said these words to me. He said, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And you can have everything in life that you want if you just help enough other people get what they want. And all of a sudden, he said these words, I wish I could put my arms around you, look you in your eyes and tell you, I believe in you. 
because I honestly do. Brian, nobody ever told me those words in my entire life. Nobody told me I believe in you. My parents loved me, but they did not have the vocabulary to say those words. But here's this man, Zig Ziglar, telling me I believe in you. And I believed him. I chose to believe this American stranger on the cassette tape. Came to the end of this tape, just about the end, all of a sudden, from business, he started to talk about Jesus. And I was astonished. I said to myself, I know that man. I know his name. I know this Jesus. He's the big God. And Zig Ziglar came to the end of the tape and he, he said his, his magic words. And I will see you at the top. Well, I thought he meant heaven. Literally, didn't you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I thought he meant I'll see you in heaven because I didn't know who he was. I said, okay, Mr. Ziegler, I don't know who you are, but I am going to one day see you at the top. I'm going to see you in heaven. Brian, I gave my heart to the Lord at that very moment. Amazing. After you gave your heart to the Lord, what came over you? What happened to me all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit took over my life, literally started to lead me started to teach me, started to train me. I found a Bible at a secondhand store for $1 and consumed the book of Proverbs, consumed the Bible. I used to read from 2 in the morning till 7, come back in the evening from 10 p.m. till 12. I read the Bible, devoured the Bible, ate the Bible up. You actually read the Bible about seven hours a day? If not more at times. That's incredible. You just had such an insatiable thirst. You couldn't stop. Absolutely. And the reason was this. I'd read a sentence and I'd get dozens and dozens and dozens of insights. It was almost as some at times that like the word of God literally was popping off the page coming into my mind. And I fell in love. It was fascinating to me. And then what I did was I listened to these audio cassette tape by Mr. Ziegler. And I consumed his words. From a struggling salesperson, I became the top salesperson, sales manager. Eventually, I, be I had my own dealership within 18 months. In New Zealand? In New Zealand, yes. In 18 months? Within 18 months, correct. I made another vow. The first time I heard the Zig Ziglar tape, I remember pointing to the tape and saying to Zig Ziglar, one day... I'm going to stand on the platforms like you, and I'm going to speak. <laughs> At that time, I was a dead broke salesperson. Yeah. But I knew, God, I knew I was going to be a speaker. I knew I was going to impact the world. I knew it in my heart. I didn't know how. Let me pause, Melvin, for a second and circle back on your devouring the word and the Holy Spirit leading you. Is there any story that springs to mind during that 18-month period where you can share that God was leading you, Holy Spirit was telling you, go here, don't go here, anything like that spring to mind? Definitely. The real-life stories at that time, in my life, absolutely, Brian. So what happened was there was, I found this, the verse that said, the footsteps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. And I found that God started to lead me to businesses and lead me to people. Was that a leading that you felt in your heart and mind, or was 
Was it one of those things where you'd just walk by a business and you felt a prompting, okay, go here? What did that look like? It was a combination. So the prompting was always there, a prompting to go, but it was the majority of the time it was a knowing. I knew I had to do that. So it bypassed my human reasoning because I was a very analytical person. And so everything had to make sense. All of a sudden, I found that something bypassed my thought processes. It bypassed my emotions and went straight into my spirit. And so all of a sudden, it was the Holy Spirit leading my human spirit. And the spirit led me. And I knew I had to be at a certain place. I didn't know why. I just knew I had to. And this is where it sounds as if you learned to just just follow those promptings. Yes, absolutely. After the 18 months, you get your own dealership. What happened next? I became very successful. Very successful after that in sales, opened up businesses. Life was going really, really well. Things are going great. Seven years later, I came to visit Dallas, Texas, and I came to a seminar. I was sitting at a round table in a big auditorium, sharing my story to my little group. A gentleman walking past heard my story. He came up to me and said, young man, please, we need you on the platform. You need to share this story with everybody in the auditorium. Go up, Brian, and I share the story with the entire auditorium. And Zig Ziglar was seated in that audience. I love it. So by the time I came off the platform, his vice president came up to me, put his arms around me and said, young man, you need to work with us. Absolutely. So I got certified, trained as a Ziegler speaker. And today I'm one of only a handful of Zig Ziglar platinum speakers. Amazing. After they said, you need to join our organization, what happened? Did you go back and shut down your business in New Zealand and move to the US? It took me a number of, a couple of years before I did that. So I did go back to New Zealand, started to train, speak, coach, and mentor in New Zealand. So my speaking business started off there with the intention, or rather the goal, of me moving to the US and doing it here. And that did take a few years. So after you moved to the United States, tell me what you did. The first thing I did was I got married. So, <laughs> Congratulations. It so happened, thank you. It so happened that we didn't plan this, but my wife, she lived 20 minutes away from Zig Ziglar, and I was coming to work with Zig Ziglar. That was in my heart and my brain. That was my goal. So we land here, I land here in the U.S. We get married, and then God, in a sense, stopped everything. The first two years of us being married, nothing happened. I went in my, in what my belief, I went backwards for at least two years. I couldn't work because I didn't have a work visa or permit. And the Lord told my wife not to work. So we were both unemployed and we had no income. Wow. And at the time, nothing made sense, but that's okay. I knew God was leading us. So at that time is where God was doing 
something tremendous. He was sharpening a gift in me that I didn't know I had. During those two years, financially, it was so tough, Brian, that we were actually on food stamps. We couldn't pay our bills. We didn't pay our car, didn't pay our rent for months. Yet the favor of God was there. We were never evicted. The car dealership wiped out about three to four months of the payments. Just amazing things. People gave us food. It was food appeared different places, just miraculous provisions. God was doing two things. Number one, he was shopping my gift. Number two, he was teaching my wife how to live a life of faith. My wife loved the Lord. She was a Christian all her life. She jokes she was at church whenever the church doors opened. But the thing was this, she was a wonderful, beautiful Christian that believed and trusted in her paycheck. She didn't believe in faith in God. And in order for her to live the life that I had lived, God had to do something for her. So those two years were the years of grooming and growing us both. So let me ask this, Melvin, during those two years, what was the mantra going through your heart and mind with respect to trusting the Lord? They were very difficult times for us as a couple. So me as a person, I was used to poverty. It was very easy for me. But now having a wife and having to learn to walk together, me coming from South Africa, believing that You prayed and God provided, Mm -hmm. and my wife believed slightly differently on how God provided. And so it was a challenge of philosophy, a challenge of mindset, challenge of experience, and how we viewed Jesus. Mm -hmm. So today I look back, we are so grateful for that. At that time, it didn't seem like that. No doubt. What was the gift he was sharpening in you, Melvin? The gift that God was sharpening was the gift of the prophetic. God took me off the speaking platform for those two years and literally threw me in a closet. Our closet was a tiny little one-bedroom apartment, tiny little closet, just enough for my clothes, and I spent my life in there. Help me understand what you mean. Praying, studying, and being taught the key to the life of The prophetic, God taught me loneliness. I had to be alone with God so he could have me all to himself. And one of the hallmarks of a prophet was a prophet walks alone in so many areas. And so God took me and hid me away in a sense like how God said to Elijah, go and hide yourself. So God hid me and sharpened this gift He taught me from zero again on the meaning of the prophetic, how it works, how it operates, the spirit of prophecy, all the different elements. And then he taught me how to use the prophetic in the modern age. How did that manifest as you were getting taught outside the closet, so to speak? What God did was he gave me a different vocabulary. God gave me the language of the world, and he gave me the prophetic to speak the prophetic to people that didn't have a Christian context okay, or didn't have the Holy Spirit understanding in their lives. And so God taught me something beautiful today. It's my flagship program called the Prophetic Whiteboard with Malvin Pillay. 
What is that? So the prophetic whiteboard is a starts off with a three-hour in-person consulting session. It's deeply prophetic where I work with business leaders and political leaders working on the past, present, and future, identifying their gifts, drawing out their life's purposes, showing them the challenges, showing them things from generations before that affects them today. And it's a very holistic prophetic session that starts with three hours. It's very deep, very intense, very very filled with joy and lots of people have found freedom from their past, freedom from the current situation, found out personality, found their giftings, found how God wants them to use their giftings in government, in business, and the different platforms that God has for us. So God birthed that whiteboard session in those darkest moments within those two years. As he birthed this, did you see yourself doing these whiteboard sessions? Correct. It started off free. I didn't know how valuable it was. God opened a door for me to teach sales and business growth. So at this company, I did that. One day, somebody walked into my office and I was trying to explain to this young lady. She didn't understand what I was saying. It so happened there was a whiteboard in the room. So I went into the whiteboard and I jotted it down and she said, I understand it. (laughs) So that moment was when it came alive. And then I did that for about a few months with maybe 50 to 60 people. Then one day, somebody gave me $50. And I said, what? Somebody just gave me $50 for something that I'm doing for free? It didn't stop, Brian. The next person gave me $250, then $1,000, then... $2,000, then $5,000, then $15,000 for that session. Wow. And God just exploded this. It just exploded around the world. Today, I do it in different nations with people starting business, people who are multimillionaires, people who are in government, and the like. There's probably people listening to this that are shaking their head thinking, wow, that's a totally different realm. But they have this prophetic leaning. Right, They have this sense that the Lord is speaking to them. They're getting led by him, just like you described. What would you say to somebody who's listening to this saying, I would love to be used that way? I would definitely encourage that person to just obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Remove all self-doubt, unbelief, and faithlessness. Say to yourself, I rebuke and I rid myself of these things because there is a word that the Lord had dropped into my spirit. And that word was Rehoboth. Say that again. Rehoboth, R-E-H-B-O-T-H, Rehoboth. And that word simply means open spaces. And the context of that word is Isaac trying to dig up his father's old wells. Every time he dug up a well, somebody stopped it. Eventually, he came to the last well. He dug and nobody troubled him. And he said, this is Rehoboth. Meant, finally, God has given us an open space in the land and nobody has hindered us. So when God is leading you in in the madness of the world, if I may put it, your calling will always make room for you. There's always a Rehoboth. God will open a space 
in the midst of the madness, in the darkest time, in the worst economy, in the famine, just obey God, follow the promptings, and you will find your audience. What do you know as the greatest hindrance that blocks people from getting into that open space? There's quite a few. I would say one of the big ones is that we never define success. We start a project, especially I'm, I'm speaking particularly to business people right now. We start a project and we start a business assuming that it's for the money only. By that I mean, we think a business is a business only when it's making money. So if the business is not making money, and if the business has not made money for a number of years, we stop doing business. Because we've not asked God the question, God, what is, the, what is your definition of success? Yeah. If God says to you, listen, my son, the bad business was for you to, for you to open that business so that you could save two souls that would have never been saved. That was God's success for that business. And so the point is simply this. We think we failed so many times. We've not failed. We've actually succeeded in God's objective. It's just that we've never saw it. We think we are failures or we failed, but we've actually achieved and accomplished the purpose that God had for it. So number one, I would say, biggest reason, people not defining success. Always ask God, God, what is your definition of success for this business, for this project? Of course, nothing wrong with money. Money is very important in business. It's the lifeblood. But what I'm simply saying is get God's definition of success first. Okay. And then you said there were several things. I would say one of the other major things in life and in business Make sure you marry the right person. That's huge. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you'll find life a whole lot easier when you do marry the one that God has for you. And as Zig Ziglar used to say, if you marry the wrong person, well, just treat the wrong person like the right person. And eventually the, the wrong person will become the right person. Make sure you're doing that. And for people in business, make sure that your spouse is working with you. So if you are in business with a spouse or in business with a partner, please walk, literally walk with people. Go for long walks. The Bible says people that walk together find disagreement rather foreign. You find that so many issues are resolved in businesses, not by just working together, but by walking together. Very important. That's so good. Please understand the meaning of kingdom wealth and kingdom money in business. Money is not important to God, but he knows it's important to us. Therefore, he gives it to us to get the job done, said George Mueller. Understand that money is a gift and money is not just a tool. Money is not unimportant. It's very important and know the meaning of it. I look at money as a gift from God and a good friend. Respect it, don't love it, but value it and know how to manage and grow it. And then all of a sudden, God gives you more. What's one of the biggest pieces of advice that you tend to dispense to people that speak with you? Number one, people 
tend to give up too easily and too quickly. I love what Charles Spurgeon once said, it's only through perseverance that the snail reached the ark. Persevere. Grab onto a promise that God had given you and do not be moved. Because mm. if you do, I have found when you keep your promises, God keeps his. And if you don't give up, God will never give up on you. Wow. Just do not give up. How do you know in that context that you're climbing up the wrong wall on that ladder? If what I am doing is connected to what Jesus told me to do, then I know I'm doing what God has told me to do. Jesus said very clearly, I must be about my father's business. And the Lord was very clear and very specific with the mission. So every single child of God should have in their mission and in their purpose, one of the most, the most powerful thing, if not the most powerful thing, when Jesus said, the kingdom of God must be proclaimed. So when you proclaim the kingdom of God, it is the good news of Jesus being spoken. Every person who speaks the kingdom message connected with taking care of orphans and widows will always find even the worst of projects all of a sudden becoming the most fruitful of projects. Don't go away from the simplicity of the gospel. Preach the kingdom, take care of orphans, take care of widows, and you will find yourself being highly successful. How can people find out more about you, Melvin? Sure, thank you. My website, melvinpillay.com, Facebook, social media, you'll find me hanging out there. <laughs> All right. As we finish, we'd love to have you pray for our listeners, please. Absolutely. Father, what a privilege it is to speak to your children. What a privilege it is to talk about Jesus. Father God, inspire us, stir us, oh God. Take away, Father, all timidity from us. Give us courage and boldness in such a time in America, Father, so that we can proclaim the beautiful message of Jesus, your kingdom message. I pray for Brian and for every precious brother and sister here. Lord, maybe they're right now struggling. Maybe they're right now not knowing they lost father what or whatever it may be lord overwhelmed by the tremendous opportunities father i pray that you will give them insight and strength through the power of your holy spirit fill us oh god with faith let our faith increase oh god so that we can stand up and say i come in the name of jesus christ silver and gold is wonderful i may not have all of that but what I do have, I give to you, world, in the name of Jesus. Let us do it. Amen. That's a perfect send-off. I so appreciate you being on the program today. Thank you, my precious brother. And of course, I say to you and everybody, I will one day see you at the top. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.